I'm Sydney. And I'm Julie. And this is Restaurant and Retail Revelations. Listeners, this is episode 38 of Restaurant and Retail Revelations, a podcast spotlighting movers and shakers in the restaurant and retail industries. This podcast is made possible by Revel Systems, provider of the leading cloud-native POS platform on the market. That's right. And our featured guest this episode is Scott Moore, co-founder of Maple Street Biscuit Company. And Maple Street is a multi-unit fast casual brand serving biscuits and scratch-made comfort food, all with a modern twist. In fact, as one of the brand's founders, Scott has a front row seat into what sets the brand apart from competitors in the cafe space. So let's jump in for his insights. Scott, welcome to the Restaurant and Retail Revelations podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show today. Right. It's great to be with you, Sydney and Julie, and thank you for give me a chance to tell the story. So in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with your story, you are actually one of the founders of Maple Street Biscuit Company, which means you haven't just seen it evolve through the years, but you were actually in a front row seat in terms of the match that ignited this concept in the first place. And so I would love to hear from you about the brand's origin and just your perspective on how it came to be. Yeah, well... Sydney, it was that there was never this grand vision. It was it was it was never this idea is that we we now have fifty five community stores through the uh, southeast and starting to get up into the north now. Um, it was just it was going to be one one community store. I, I was the uh, the person in our church that if you because of my human resources background, if you were making a career change or graduating from um, a university, or if you were um, deciding that um, you wanted to go get a new job, um, they would send you to me, um, and um, I would, you know, work with those folks. And one day in church, a, a gentleman walked up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder, and I didn't know who he was. And he goes, "Hi, my name is Gus." And Pastor Brian says, "I need to come talk to you." I knew, I knew what that meant. It meant okay, I, I need to have coffee with you. And so we sat down and he'd been in construction for two years that had dried up and um, he and his wife, Kristen, had two kids um, there in Jacksonville, Florida and needed to find a job. And so I worked with him, put a resume together, got him some job interviews and got him a job offer in Sarasota, which was great. It was actually making more money than he made before. And so we were excited and he and I were sitting at a Starbucks there in Jacksonville talking over the job offer, what should you ask for? And as we finished it up, I made this statement to him. I'm about to be on the other side of the table. And he goes, what do you mean? And, and I said, well, the company I work for was just bought out by a private equity group. And they'll bring in their own executives, which they should do. They bring people they know and that they can trust. And so I'm going to have to go, go figure out what I'm going to do. And it was kind of the, the fateful question. He said, what are you going to do? And at that time, I had five different business ideas of what I could do. At that time, I wanted to stay in Jacksonville, Florida. My kids were still in high school, and um, I had these five different ideas. One of them was this idea of a restaurant, comfort food with a modern twist built around fresh baked biscuits. That's all I knew. 
That was it. The the whole idea. He came back in a couple of days and he goes, I, I, I want to do that restaurant idea with you. I said, okay. Um, you go home, you and Chris and pray about it for a week. If you still want to do it, come back, tell me. I'll help you develop the concept, work with you for six months, teach you how to run it, which is a little bold because I'd never ran a restaurant before. He came back in a week and said, I, I knew when he went home, it's going to be, they got two kids. Here's a paycheck. We're going to Sarasota. I, I just assumed he'd never be back for that. And he came back in a week and said, I want, I want to do the restaurant idea with you, which sounds great, except neither of us had any restaurant experience. Neither of us had any culinary background. We're both about to be without jobs. And so what do you do? You go open a restaurant. And it was a recipe for failure. And yet we set out and really worked with our community and how we would develop this concept and what it would look like and what it is that they wanted to see. And we moved forward, um, took five months developing the concept. The way we... we we developed a menu is we'd have our friends and my neighbors come over to our, my house on Thursday nights and we would do these food throwdowns. Gus and Kristen and my wife, Robin, and I would all make our versions of our food. And, um, it, and then I had this little Excel spreadsheet where everybody would rate and rank the food. Um, and it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was, uh, fast anything. And, um, and so, you know, the fried chicken, we'd make our, all make our version of it. And everything got filtered through the, the brand concept of comfort food and mantras built around fresh fruit biscuits. And we went through it. Um, the biscuit recipe was Gus's, which is a really good thing because my recipe was really complicated. Um, outside of your flour and your butter and salt and sugar and all those, I, I, I had um, uh, uh, Greek yogurt, raw eggs, really complicated. His was a much more simpler uh, biscuit, but it was, it's funny. We were we were asking the biscuit to do okay. We wanted it to be nice and a buttermilk biscuit that was flaky and soft, but had enough structure that we could put stuff on it and you could hold it. And and so we're asking it to do everything. And he came up with a great recipe. Um, the sausage gravy is my recipe. I, I like everything with a kick. And if you try it, it's got that afternoon kick that's in there. And but our community helped us develop the menu. And then it was five months of those Thursday nights. And we thought, okay, we've got our menu together and told our neighbors and friends that no more food. And, and they were disappointed, like, what are we going to do on Thursdays now? And then it was time to name it. And I just sent out like 30 names to those people who came to the food throwdowns. I sent an email out and said, okay, here's a whole bunch of different names. And there were all kinds of crazy names in there. A few had maple in there because one of the secrets for their biscuits is we have a little maple syrup and there's our, our sweetener. And so a couple of them had maple in there. There was like Maple Way and one of them was Maple Street Biscuit Company. So I sent it out, the survey, and I got it back and overwhelmingly one name came back. Maple Street Biscuit Company. And Kinley, I was disappointed um, in it, Sydney. I, was <laughs> I flipped it back to all of them and said... Okay, it won. I said, but what, what, what if I can't find a location on Maple Street? Is that going to confuse people? And they sent it back. No, everybody gets it, what it means, which, which is great because that first location was on San Marco Boulevard, um, which would really confuse people out of it. It's a, Maple Street, it's always been a community story. I mean, 
Our mission is help people serve others, be a part of the community. It has been from the very first month we sat down and we talked at this community table in the front of the store in San Marco. And it was about just trying to help somebody. And then the second story is about helping somebody else. And the third story was about helping somebody else. And, and then it was always a community story. They helped us develop everything. In fact, when we built out the, the first location, our friends and neighbors came and helped us build it out. Opening day, 17 people from our church came and worked for free, which is great because we only had three people and we would have been in big trouble. So it's always been a community story. There was never this grand plan, Sydney, of here we go. It was just, how do we go help people? What a cool story and no risk, no reward, right? And I, I've actually been to the location um, in Alpharetta on Canton Street, and I can confirm the biscuits are lovely. Uh, they're delicious, fluffy, uh, just as described. So, And I know today Maple Street has dozens of locations and a majority corporate owned and a handful of franchised. And you guys were actually purchased by Cracker Barrel back in 2019. So we'll certainly explore that sale in a bit more detail in just a bit here. But first, I want to ask about the brand's four guiding principles. And the role you believe those play in and have played in Maple Street's evolution. So comfort food with a twist, gracious service, immaculately clean stores, and also a sustainable business. So can you tell us a little more about those? Sure. Yeah, Julian, just like that mission statement, those four guiding principles have been what has been our four guiding principles for the first month. I remember we'd been open just a few weeks and Amanda Gibson, who has been with us, worked on the store and led stores and did social media for us and recipes and menus. And she was always good about making me articulate the why. She would always ask me, why, why are we doing this? And I, and I so much appreciate her because it, it, it took us back to what was really important. And so she and I and Gus are sitting down at the community table that's in the front of the San Marco store that Gus and I built this 12 foot community table. And and I articulated our mission, help people serve others, be part of the community. And there are four guiding principles in that very first few weeks of the very first community store. And so we talked about through those comfort food, the modern twist made consistently. Our idea with that first principle was is that we always wanted to be a destination, not just an option. Um, and so if it was on our menu, it had to be on our menu in a way that it wasn't on somebody else's. So there were... In Jacksonville, there was great diners that I that would go to. There was uh, Cool Moose and Fox Diner and Metro Diner, but I'd always get the same thing. I'd get the um, sausage and cheese omelet with the white potatoes, and they all had the same things. And so we talked it over. I said, I don't, I don't, if we're going to be a compelling concept, I don't want to be just an option. I said, that's kind of why Subway would build a store next to a Walmart. They just hope that a few percent of the people that go to Walmart are hungry and we're an option while you're there, right? I want to be a place where people will drive to, that if they like what we have, they have to come to us to get it. And so when you go to Maple Street, you're going to find things on the menu, like the Squawk and Goat, which is a biscuit with fried chicken, which has this fried goat cheese medallion, which has been breaded and then melt and put on top, and then a house-made pepper jelly poured over the top of it. I want people to say, hey, I've had it, but I've never had it that way before. Um, and goat cheese and pepper jelly is, you know, something they typically don't have on a biscuit and chicken. And so that was comfort food, the modern twist made consistently. Second was for us, gracious service. And as we talked it over is that any, 
retail place will serve you any you know they'll take your order they'll they'll make your food they'll, they'll get you to go box if you need it but we talked about gracious service and we use that word grace so that we could talk what grace looks like and um, what grace comes from and and so we talk about gracious eyes and that we see our guests as people and even if they're not asking us for something we're watching them um, and so gracious service is something more than just service and so we want to show grace to people no matter what the third is immaculately clean we build the stores and we built that first store so it could be just broken down to the bones every night yeah, if you're going to make food for people, if you came to my house, we always talk about this, I guess, came to my house and, you know, I had a dirty house and I'm making you dinner. You're going to have a little bit of pause. You expect that, my, that the kitchen's going to be a clean place. Well, same thing's true. If we're a community store and we have guests, so um, we, we build it so that we can break down and clean it to the bones each night. And then sustainable business means a lot of things. But as we first started out as a small business, I told Gus this. It, it at least means this, don't lose money. Because businesses that lose money, they don't hang around very long. They are not sustainable. And so when we built the first store, I did three P&Ls, three profit and loss statements. This is the way I did my market research, Julie, which is a little crazy. For a month, I went to every breakfast, brunch and lunch restaurant I could in town. And I spent all day there. I'd stay there from seven in the morning to two in the afternoon. And then I had a menu with me on the table and I counted how many guests came in every hour. And then I calculated based on the menu, I had how much they spent. And after a month, I had a pretty good idea of what an average sales per hour would be. And so I built a PL based on an average of those sales. I thought, okay, if we do average, can we you know what? Be okay. And then I did another p and said, what if we do half of the average? And what if we're just not a compelling concept? Can, can we at least not lose money? And we actually built the first store so that if I had to have only one team member, I could operate it if I had to. And I said, okay, if I did, can I not lose money? And then, But then I did a third profit and loss statement that I shared with us said, okay, if we do double of what the average does, is it even worth it? I mean, you know, you work in a restaurant and it's month to month. And if we did double, would there be a big reward at the end of the day? And I said, if there's not, then I don't know that we should do it. And we were able to build a model that said, hey, if we, if we could do that, you know what? This would be worthwhile. And so we set out with those four principles and that one mission and four principles and the Maple Street model, which, which has guided us from month one. So building on that, and Julie teed us up for this, it's common knowledge that a sturdy foundation is key to a longstanding structure. And of course, when Cracker Barrel originally had their eye on you, I have some insights into this story. But for our listeners, I would love for you to share what is probably not a super common uh, case for a big brand like Cracker Barrel and a startup brand like Maple Street. Yeah, um, it's been an interesting history for Maple Street and Cracker Barrel through the, through the years. So we we originally started the conversation with Cracker Barrel that seven years ago. They had looked around and were looking for a growth concept to be a part of. And they'd seen us and they came down and talked to us and um, uh, made us an offer. And we didn't come to terms at that time. 
they they went on and decided to do their own version of a breakfast brunch lunch with biscuits called holler and dash um and they set out and they they went and did that and for us that was okay it was really fire in my bones to say okay we're going to go out and do ours really well and we're going to be that um uh, mission impossible team who goes gets the mission done and we did and it, it came up on uh, with this strategy what it, what i wanted to do was um you know, i talked to the team is that said whoever's first to the market sydney is owns the brand and the brand concept anybody who follows is just being like them right and we went out and we had the strategy of what we're going to do 25 community stores in 18 months across the southeast but we weren't going to tell anybody no press releases no i would even when we're building new community stores i wouldn't even let the team put up a coming soon sign in in the front of the one the window or on the front of the stores they were like we want to tell people to come and i said not yet because i want it to be that there were several people who wanted to play in this space i wanted it to be that in 18 months all of a sudden everybody looked around and said hey what what happened there were these guys who had a handful of stores um, in the South, all of a sudden now are all over the Southeast with 25 community stores and, and for them to rethink their strategy. And that's what we set out to go do. And we did. This Maple Street team went out and accomplished it and got to that point. But it came to the point where we did that. There's some things we did well and some things we did not do well in that growth process. And um, I knew we were going to need the right partner. And so we still went out and started to look for the right partner. And part of that, I saw it said, what if we could, you know, even grow quicker and Cracker Barrel had those holler and dash stores and I actually called them and said, hey, if you're not, you know, looking to continue to grow that, I might would be interested in buying those stores. And they they called me back a few days and said, we're not interested in selling them, but if you're looking for the right partner, we'd like to talk to you again. And we started that conversation. We spent 10 months having that conversation now, I will tell you, at first, the team did challenge me and said, hey, these are the people we talked to before, and we didn't go do something. You're telling me we're going to do it again? The question is always at the day is, what's the right thing now? And we worked through it. We spent 10 months and got to know them, and they got to know us. And at the end of 10 months, we all said, you know what? This is the right partnership. And as part of that, we took those Holland Ashes and made them into Maple Streets, which quickly grew our unit growth by about 20%. And allowed us to continue to move forward um, and, you know, really take the lead in this space of comfort food with the, that original statement um, that we had, Sydney, comfort food, the modern twist, but throwing fresh baked biscuits. Yeah, uh, timing is everything. And it sounds like, you know, you guys timed this acquisition just right. And building on, you know, you're talking about this explosive growth. When we think about franchise operators and this new parent company for Maple Street, Cracker Barrel, how do your community stores retain all of the really special brand elements that make Maple Street what it is, especially in its early days? Julie, if I if you ask me, Julie, what's the number one question I have had over the whole 10 years of Maple Street from people? That's the question. Wow. As we were growing from one to two to three to four, well, how do you do that? Then when we were going, you know, to eight. Then we went to this eight to 25 is we've had over the years, over 25 restaurant groups, investment groups, 
had one investment banking group came up out of Miami. They were in their, their nice, really two-piece suits. They put Maple Street t-shirts underneath the, um, what they were doing. And we, we just had so many people were interested in it, but that was always, always the question from, from all of them. And uh, I will tell you, it's this, Maple Street does not have store managers. Now I spent 20 years in the grocery business. We had store managers. I'm not saying it's bad, but for us, we're a community store. We don't call ourselves a restaurant. It's a community store whose whose role is to have a a leader. And we don't call it a store manager because what does a manager do? They they manage stuff. We don't have store directors because what's a director do? They they direct stuff. We have community leaders whose job is to live out our mission, help people, serve others, be a part of the community. And I will tell you, in the first dozen stores. We weren't really picking geographical locations where we thought we could be successful. We were finding people who we thought had our heart for our mission. And we just wanted to set them up in business so that they could go live out our mission and try to make a difference in people's lives. So that that community leader, we see them as a business owner, that this is their community store. When I go into a community store, I'm really not going in there to to run their business. Um, I'm going there to drink a, a good cup of coffee find out where they're at in life. If I see things where we're off track, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get it back on. And But our job is to help support them. And, and so everything for us rises and falls on the community leader. I always wanted to have that. When we opened them with the first one, Chattanooga. It's seven hours away, Chattanooga, Tennessee, from Jacksonville, Florida. And, that, and I will tell you is that we had people on the team who were like, how can, how can we open one seven hours away? And I said, we have to find the right community leader. I need to know that on Tuesday, that if something's wrong, that they're going to be the ones that are handling it. And it has to be true of the whole organization. So for us, the focus on having community leaders who get our mission and live it out, think about their community store as theirs. And they get a portion of the profits that they get with their stores. And that we're there to help them do this well has always been the strength of Maple Street. And so it's the community leader role in a community store. That is absolutely beautiful. And I think, you know, for other folks who are listening to this and maybe they've got a passion, maybe they envision a bigger brand, maybe they don't. And it could happen by fate and and a little bit of uh, luck and hard work. But I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you didn't do everything perfectly, what brand does. And so of those challenges that you and your team had to navigate from a business operations standpoint, what were the big ones? How did you address them? And I mean, of course, you're here today, you persevered. So I think those could be really valuable lessons. And we have a whole season that we call the messy middle. It's called that on purpose. So as we went out and did that growth story, we wanted to grow to 25 community stores across the Southeast and, and we went and did it. But what we, we did growth really well, but what we didn't do was keep our eye on the existing operational well. And so what happened is we spent all our time, focus and resources on these new community stores and we lost our way with the existing ones. We weren't executing our model the way we had been. We weren't getting the, the performance in which we had uh, got there and we were in a mess. And so I pulled the team together and I said, we are in the messy middle. And I called it that for two reasons. One, they knew it was a mess. 
they needed to know, Sydney, that I knew it was a mess. But the second was defining as the middle. I wanted them to understand, yes, today we're in a mess. But that's just today. That's not forever. We're going to come out of this. This is the messy middle. We'll work our way through this. We got a plan. Follow me. The house is on fire, but I'll get you out. And for us, that became a rallying cry, the messy middle. Um, it defined it, put it in box, helped us to be able to move on. And we learned the lesson of this is that we'll continue to grow, but we will never, ever take our eye off the ball of who we are and executing our model the way we're supposed to. And so we always have to have those dual focuses. And you can't let one part of the organization pull away from the other part of it. And so we built the organization so that both things can be true and both things can be done well. Yep. The messy middle. I, I actually really like that. It's there's a, there's a lot of truth in there. Uh, and I think everyone goes through it ultimately, especially when you're, you're in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. uh, Scott, you've talked so much about just the mission mm -hmm. at Maple Street Biscuit Company from the guiding principles to just this real sense of a community and that mantra. Um, what are some other just missions at Maple Street Biscuit Company mm -hmm. today? Specifically, I, I was reading about your annual day of good that you guys do, just things like that that contribute towards um, your, your mission and your mantra. Sure. Yeah. And Julie, this is where that, that conversation about community happens so much because it's our mission to help people serve others to be a part of the community. And let me just first say this, that community starts in store. I don't think we always think about it, but community starts in store. We, we get these 25... 30 team members in our community stores. And there are people who live in our neighborhoods. There are people who are trying to figure out their lives and that we get to be a part of it. And so the very first thing is for us is to know our team members. For me, my favorite thing is when I go into a store and I get a cup of coffee and I get a chance to sit down with team members, I just ask one question, tell me your story. It is amazing when you ask that question and you just stop and listen what people what people tell you. I mean, life life for all of us is hard at different times. And people are going through a season. You don't know that until you, you get to hear it. Every new community store, the night before we do an opening, we had uh, the leadership team, I go, and we meet and take the leadership team out for dinner. And we ask that question of all those leaders. We were at one in Texas, a gentleman who's a veteran, and his wife had just recently been in a car wreck. And, you know, the, he reached out to the Maple Street team and just a social media thing and boom, everybody was there. And he starts telling the story about what he's been through, P through PTSD and the challenges they've had. And here's this veteran starts crying in, in front of everybody. Then he starts saying, but I found my home because when I had trouble, I'm just, he said, I hadn't even worked here a month and my wife has a chiropractor and everybody was here. For us, community starts in store knowing our team members for their life and then finding a way to help them along. After that, then we get to go out and be, be in our neighborhoods. And so like day of good, we, in uh, July, I call it the dog days of summer's day of good. Um, we close the stores early and we just send out every community leader and say, you take your team and you go find something good to do in your community. And we'll just keep paying the team members. And every one of these community leaders, who it's their community store living out our mission, they go find stuff to, to go do. They may go find uh, an elderly person whose house needs to be fixed or cleaned up or 
Um, they may go to the beach and clean up litter and trash, or they go to a retirement home and a part of that, uh, doing songs and talking to people and just engaging. They're just, I come up with all kinds of neat things that they go do in the communities. And, and we just say every year, we just do that in July, day of good, just go out and be a part, a, a part of the community and live out our mission. And the thing for us is we don't, we don't put any of that out on the website. This is one of the few times you'll hear me talk about it. Um, and I talked to the team about that and, you know, why don't we publicize it? It's because that's not the reason we do it. Our mission is help people survive as part of the community. It just should be part of who we are. It's why we're doing this. It's why we want to be good business people. So we earn the right to go do more good. And it's not so that we can get credit. It's so that we can make a difference in people's lives. Um, and so it's not bad that people put stuff out there and they put numbers out there and that's, that's fine. But just for us, we just want to earn the right to go do that. And so community starts in the store, then it starts to move out and we have some structure ways in which it happens. And there's lots of ways in which community leaders go help people. Tara had, Tara Sykes, a chief HR person for us, um, had the community leaders in a, in a meeting list, all the stuff that they had done recently for people. And we had this um, big wall. It was about, I'm going to say 30 feet wide that we used as our dry erase board. And she just started writing them down and she filled it up with just stuff that they, stuff I didn't even know they'd done. It was just, they were living out our mission and going and doing it. I was like, that's what, that's what's supposed to happen. Not because we're telling them, because we're helping them to know this is the kind of people we should be. And for a community store, what it looks like. And I was so proud, I was so proud of. Yeah, what a powerful part of your DNA. I mean, to have folks understand that this isn't a PR stunt. It's not so that you can publicize what you're doing. It's because that is innately what you're looking for in new team members. And that's what you believe in at your company's core. I think that's truly beautiful. That's really cool that you've been able to achieve it. Well, they um, do it and they make me proud and Sydney different they like somebody, one of the team members' car broke down. So the community leader paid for the tow truck to come get it and get it to the place for them. Another one had a person who didn't have a place to live. They had an extra room and they let them come stay in their, their room for a while. And I didn't even know they were doing these things. I mean, I'm not surprised. It's the kind of people they are, but which goes to, um, I think Sydney, some, some interviews at, we never talk about company culture. I've worked for two Fortune 100 companies in the grocery business. And we talked about that a lot and that we as executives would get up and talk about company culture. And it was typically what we wanted to say that it was. My belief in that came to be the company culture is whatever the people who work there experience. The culture is whatever that the outcome is that they see. And so when we started out, I said, let's never talk about company culture. Let's talk about company character. Let's talk about who the kind of people we want to be. And let's make sure that when we get people that we're trying to hire people who have character, or let's teach people how to be people of character. And that character will come out. And we'll create the kind of place that people want to be a part of. And so their experience will be this, is that they're not only being at a place that's good, but maybe a place, a place that teaches them how to be good. I love that. Have culture come from within. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Well, Scott, one thing we haven't talked about yet is your connection to Rebel Systems. Yeah. And I know that all things considered, that's just a small piece of your journey, but I do think that that would be a compelling story. And so would love to just hear how not 
just the relationship started, but certainly also how it evolved through through the years. Um, which is <laughs> the 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 whole point of sale journey for Maple Street is kind of an an interesting journey um, as we're going through. And if you had asked me several years ago, would I be here with Rebel? I actually would have said no, but something happened in the process. We started out, we had this um, uh, platform, which was a very inexpensive iPad platform. And we did it just because it was inexpensive. <laughs> it was not stable, didn't serve our needs, didn't have functionality. And so as we started to grow, my team said, Scott, we need a better solution. And so they started going to look and we started looking at some of the larger companies who had made decisions for a tablet-based point of sale system. And what did they use? And because my, my team started when we get a whole discovery process, RFPs, and I'm like, just go see what the big people are doing. They have the big teams who do all the discovery work, go, you know, through all the testing. Let's just leverage. I've worked for two big companies. In other words, let's just leverage what the work they do. And you know, take it. And so we went out and Rebel was the system. Said, okay, get Rebel and we'll go do it. And we had it for a couple of years, but it it came to a point where we, it it was it was a struggle for us back when we first two years. Rebel at that time, the system wasn't stable the way that you need a point of sale system to be stable. Things happened and moved out and they weren't tested and it caused problems. And we didn't feel like we had the service and support to, to get us the answers. And so my CFO and operations team came to me one day and said, we think we need to change point of sale systems again. I don't know if you know how big a deal it is. I've, now that we have this many units, changing a point of sale system is not just changing new software. It breaks the business for a while. And I said, if we have to change, we'll change. I said, but it's better to figure out how to use the solution. I said, but if it's that bad, you know what? We'll figure out what we're going to go do. Um, and I said, I tell you what, they have a brand new president. His name's Greg Ducott. He's signed up as a new CEO of the company. And I said, um, I will meet with him. And so I found out that Greg was going to be at the, the retail leadership conference in Phoenix where Rebel was setting up a booth there. And so I flew out there to go to specifically to meet with the Rebel team to meet with Greg if I could. And I walked to the booth and Greg was there and said, hey, I'm Scott. I'm one of your customers. And so I started telling him exactly what I just said about what my team said. My bias is not to switch, but we can't stay where we're at. We, we've got to have service support. You got to give Greg so much credit. He was the CEO of a new company coming in and laying out the vision. And what did he, two weeks later, he flew to Jacksonville, Florida, met with my executive team, listened to everything they had to say, set up after he got back, worked on a few things, called him back, set up how we were going to have a communications process moving forward, what the support would look like, and then started to share the vision for the future of Rebel. My team came to me and said, Scott, we don't want to change. Now, it wasn't my decision. It was the team's decision. But Greg, in listening to them and laying out the future, here's what happened that changed everything. Greg came in and realized, one, at that stage, Rebel was trying to be everything to everybody. And he laid out a vision that we're going to be focused on the multi-unit, fast, casual restaurant concepts as our primary go-to client, um, and we're going to serve them really well. We're going to figure out what's important, and then we're going to go do that. At that time, before he came, 
every individual sole proprietor was as important as any multi-unit and any multi-unit is important as any sole proprietor. And so every modification everybody asked, Rebel and trying to, with great motivation, great heart, tried to do what everybody wanted, every modification everybody needed. The problem is not everybody needed everything. It didn't allow time to appropriate testing. And there wasn't enough structured, I need help support contacts when things go wrong to follow through. And so Greg laid out that vision where where Rebel's going to go. And then uh, determined what was important to their target and prioritized all the different iterations that needed to happen and then articulated what they were. And the third and most important thing is he, he set up a service process where if things weren't going the way we wanted, we just had somebody to talk to. And at the end of the day, that became the biggest thing for my team is they just needed to know who to talk to. And so when I, we had everybody in the reservation, Greg gave his email. I've, I've got his phone number now and you know, if I needed to, we could call. And that that was a stake in the ground that Rebel was going to be serious about playing in this space. Now, what's interesting is when we got acquired by Cracker Barrel, the conversation happened again because Cracker Barrel has their own point of sale systems that they use. And it would make sense. Um, we had a new chief intelligence officer come and make sense for us all to be on the same platform. Well, we started having those conversations and um, as we started to walk through that conversation, we started talking about what are the needs of the two brands and how does it fit the two brands? And as we started to work through it, the reality came up is, you know what, from a technology perspective, yes, it's nice to have all the same platform. From a business model perspective, it's not the best answer. And what we found is that the application that they have for the big brand works really well for them, but wouldn't fit us well. But for us at this stage and where we're at, Rebel fits really well for where we're at. And so even with a large organization, the decision came is it is better for us to have the two platforms. And if Maple Street is a growth story and that's where we're focused on, Rebel is the best partner for us to go do that. So their IT team, who's our IT team um, as well, um, is signed up and they're supporting this platform and helping us to grow it and to, to go through it. And I can tell you this, I now have the benefit of looking back over the last several years. If Greg hadn't came on and set out a vision and then put that vision into work and then to execute against it, we wouldn't be here today. But I would tell you this, as we started having the conversation, because when we started talking through with the IT team, you know, okay, great. If we're going to have two different platforms, is this the right platform? It wasn't even a discussion because we, we know that not only do we have a platform that works, but we have a partner in Rebel. And the relationship that we've built over the years is the Rebel team and the platform strategy, not just for now, but for where they're going in the next three years as they laid out, is exactly what fits the space that we're playing in. And as a growth story, we needed a partner. And so that was going to be going where we're going. And so as we had the conversations with the IT team, it's like, yeah, if, if, if I'm signing up today, I'm signing up with Rebel because they're where we're at, but they're also going where we're going. And I got a partner who's as interested in my business as I am. And so... 
It's been an interesting story. I knew nothing about point of sale systems when all this started out. And so I just wanted something. If you could have given me a keyboard that rang up and added the tax at first, I would have been happy. Um, I came to realize if we're going to engage our guests, if we're going to be able to serve them well, if we're going to start to build relationships with them and, and serve them in the ways that they want to be served, we needed much more than a calculator. And what I'm excited about is that we're doing that today, but the next three years are going to be doing it more. So yeah, it's been an interesting relationship and now it's a partnership with Maple Street and Rebel. Yeah. Thanks for walking us through that, Scott. And you make such a great point. We talk about it all the time, but the point of sale is it's so much more to a restaurant or any business than just a cash register. It's, we mm -hmm. call it at Revel, the heart of your business. It's, mm -hmm. it's the epicenter, right? So we're so happy to have evolved alongside you guys for the past couple of years here. And I know I speak for Greg as well when I, I say that. And we certainly cannot close things out here on this podcast episode without probably the most critical question we'll ask today. And that is, what is your go-to order when you dine at a Maple Street community store? Uh, we have to know what's the typical breakfast fix. Yeah. You, so Julie, what's funny is because everything's this modern twist, people come in and they try something like the squawking goat. And they love that. It's a, it's almost like a sweet and sour chicken biscuit. You need a knife and fork to eat it when you when you get it. But And so they think the next time I'll come in, but they're afraid of losing out on the thing that they like so well. And so they keep ordering that same thing, but like, I want to try the other stuff. Um, and so you, you, you have that tension that's always happening. But as I said earlier, the um, sausage gravy was my recipe. It has a nice kick that's in there. First, you get it and you get the spice and the sage from the sausage that is on the front of the tongue, but then the heat starts on the back of the tongue. And the more that you eat it, the more the heat's there and I want you to keep coming back. So we have what's called risky biscuits, which is our biscuits and gravy. It's our fresh made biscuits with the, um, uh, you know, we have some frozen butter in there and uh, said the maple syrup in it, but that, that gravy is so good. In fact, we had a guest who wrote on Yelp, you go out there, where she said, just pour the gravy in a coffee mug and I'll drink it. Uh, and so <laughs> I kind of feel that way about it. It's just give me the gravy. Well, I love it. And I'm going to have to explore the gravy the next time I visit one of your community stores myself. So Scott, we've covered quite a bit of ground today. Um, and, and truly the, the story of the evolution of Maple Street Biscuits and all the way down to the, the point of sale that also helps align with what is an incredible mission and some really fantastic teamwork. Is there anything that we didn't ask you about today that you would like to share with our listeners before we close things out? I just had a few weeks ago, a couple come into town who want to start their own restaurant and looking for what is. And yeah, for us, and I, I think it's true for everybody is that you don't have to have experience to go do this business, but I do think you have to have um, a curiosity and a willingness to learn and to ask questions. And there are a lot of people in this industry, myself included, who are, want to help people go do this well. And um, I, I'd encourage people to, to, to leverage that, take the opportunity to connect with those folks and talk about their experiences, learn from our mistakes, um, our messy middles, um, <laughs> and hopefully that you, you wouldn't uh, have them again. And I didn't plan to be here. I'd been in the grocery business for 20 years. I didn't, didn't plan to be in the restaurant business. It was 
never this big design, but I will tell you that there is this really neat, neat community um, in this industry that is willing to help each other out. And I've certainly found that along the way. And, and I would tell you this too, everywhere, this is not just well, but everybody who you work with should be a partner. So our food purveyor, as I went out and looked for a food purveyor to get to us, I said, I can buy groceries from anywhere. I've been in the grocery business. I, I, I can go buy, you know, produce or dairy um, or chicken from anybody. I said, I don't want a grocery store. I want a partnership. And everything we did develop was, was always about how do we both win at the end of the day? Um, and so our food purveyor, which we've had for all but one year of, of Maple Street, has been a partnership. They constantly call on us when they're trying to figure things out because they know our heart is, it's not just about me getting the cheapest price. I mean, I need a fair price, but it's about how we both win at the end of the day. And I would tell you, go build partnerships. That's how you win the day. Yeah, a ton of great advice there. And Scott, we'll, we'll wrap with a thank you here just for your time and your expertise on the podcast and uh, sharing just your all of your experience from 20 years in the grocery business to uh, you know where you've taken Maple Street. It's really a fantastic story, and we appreciate you just sharing it with our listeners today. Thanks so much for being here. Julie, glad to, and I'm thankful for the partnership here, and I look forward to a really great future. There you have it. Unwavering focus on mission and its four founding principles underscores so much of the success that has helped Maple Street Biscuit Company flourish since its founding. That is certainly true. And it's such a treat just to hear from Scott on all the ways the brand has stuck to those core tenets, even through the dreaded messy middle and between the brand's community focus and that mouthwatering menu. I, I think he stumbled into something truly winning. Absolutely. And I think we should close out this episode on that idea of a community-inspired vision yielding a successfully growing brand. So to our listeners, thank you so much for your time and attention. And whether you're joining us for the first time or are back for extra helpings, make sure you like and subscribe to Restaurant and Retail Revelations on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss new content. We'll be back soon with even more revelations. Thank <laughs> you.